This is SR1. All right, everybody, here we go. Today is Sunday, March 19th, 2023, and you are listening to SR1 on News Talk STL. My name is Rob Carter, and I have a fantastic show for you today. This might have been my favorite week of prep in the better part of three years. We are finally being vindicated all of the topics. Everything we've been trying to explain from the very beginning about COVID, about this corrupt government, about the way the media protects a certain group of people. All of these data points are converging at one time. And it's easier and easier to see reality. Remember what I always say. You have to get out of the gray skies of the corporate news bubble and into the bright, sunshiny skies of reality. Because once you see reality, we can band together. There is a world war going on right now. And the way we perceive world wars is among nations. And eventually, the people running the show will try to get the nations to fight. But the real war is free people against authoritarian rule globally. Orchestrated by corporate interest at the World Economic Forum. They are putting policy into place through the United Nations and puppet governments all over the world. Authoritarian rule globally is the aim. We have to get in the middle of that, stop it, because America, we believe in freedom. It's just when we don't recognize that it's being chipped away at, and we walk around like sheep, walk around like brainwashed zombies, things can happen. You have to fight for your freedom. Every generation has to fight for their freedom, and we are here. It's time. It's time to understand what is going on. Donald Trump, apparently, is going to be arrested, going to turn himself in on Tuesday. And say what you want about Donald Trump. You know my feelings. Anybody that advocates taking an uh, unproven, untested medicine and have the FDA and the CDC and the military run an operation where we stick needles in our arm to get back to normal. Remember, two weeks to stop the spread. Two weeks to stop the spread turned into a three-year corporate consolidation of power the biggest wealth transfer in American history, all under the watchful eye of our hero, Donald Trump. Now, you can say that he was tricked. You can say that he has some master plan. Doesn't matter to me. I'm out. Once you tell me to put medicines in my arm that you don't even understand yourself, couldn't possibly understand because you're not a doctor, he could have come out and said, listen, do your homework, make the best decision for you and your family. But that's not what he said. He said, I recommend them over and over again. Take the vaccines. I did it. They're good. That was Donald Trump. So for me, I'm done with him. But his presidency did shed a lot of light on what was going on. The fake news media, the corporate uh, corruption, the governmental corruption, all of it came to light under Donald Trump. So if I'm going to give him any accolades, it's for showing the American people what was going on. So I give him credit for that. Whether he did it purposefully doesn't matter to me. Uh, the, the bottom line is people are now aware of how corrupt this entire system is later on in the show. And I'm going to get to Donald Trump. Don't get me wrong. I'm going to get with it. I'm going to talk about him and another guy that apparently is going to run for president of the United States, Robert F. Kennedy Jr. And I want to compare and contrast the two because from what I can tell, Robert F. Kennedy Jr. is telling the truth and Donald Trump is playing games. I like to go with the guy telling the truth. I don't recommend i don't endorse any politicians we talked about that last week i think as somebody who's doing commentary and trying to get people on the right track 
You have to recognize that politicians are slippery, especially politicians that are tied to a party. Robert F. Kennedy is very deeply tied to the Democrat Party. And as you know, Donald Trump is trying to reform the Republican Party. In my opinion, that would be like trying to reform the Nazi Party. Because the Republican Party led us to war in Iraq, didn't they? On a lie. So you got to take all these things into consideration. Really think through where you're at. People with some common sense, people with discernment, uh, this is your chance to really think through things because now you know that the media isn't giving you the real information. I have a clip from Tucker Carlson that I absolutely love, and I have been very difficult, been very tough on Tucker Carlson, been very tough on Fox News. But Tucker Carlson's been going on some shows lately and really telling the truth. Now, I don't know what his motive is. You know, his dad was in the intel agency, so for him not to know that the media was corrupt is very hard for me to believe. But as I watch him in these interviews, I'm starting to buy it. I'm starting to believe it. He doesn't seem, and I don't mean to be mean, he doesn't seem like a very sharp character. Uh, That doesn't mean he's not smart. There's some very, very bright people that aren't sharp. And if you know what the difference is, you know what the difference is. I can't really explain it to you, but sharp people recognize things that don't make sense. Smart people can read a book and recite it to you, but sharp people have a sixth sense that something's not right and they dig. Uh, When I listen to Tucker Carlson, I think he might be the guy that is bright, might be very smart, but he doesn't seem very sharp to me. Uh, To be in the news business as long as he has been and not recognize that the news was Uh, was lying to the American people is just difficult for me to swallow, but I want to get into that as well because I have a clip from him uh, that I think is fascinating and vindicates all of the things that not only we said about him, but it turns out that he now recognizes it within himself, which is even better because if he's the real deal, he will leave Fox News. He will take all of the people that are outside, um, the, the, the people that aren't in the club, the people that aren't just taking their check and saying, you know what, I don't really care what happens to the American people so long as I get my $10 million a year, it is what it is. You have to separate yourself from people that think like that. If greed and money and status is your goal, if that's the only thing that matters to you, you don't really care about freedom, you don't care about, you don't care about future generations, uh, then you're not on our team. To be on our team, you got to be looking for freedom. You got to be looking to uh, tell people what's going on. You got to be honest with the American people. So have a conversation later on in the back half of the show with a guy by the name of Michael W. Brown. Now, Michael W. Brown is a former DEA agent, former Army Rangers, been in the game since 1989. He knows a lot about the opioid crisis. I think you're going to find that conversation fascinating because as you send your kids off to spring break, you must know that the war against free people is heating up. The drug cartels are involved. Our government is not going to protect your kids anymore. You just have to get past that. That They're not going to protect them. They're not going to educate them. And your kid could go out, smoke a joint, and be dead tomorrow. Your kid could go out and say, listen, I have to study for the test when I get back from, uh, from spring break. Can I get some Adderall for it from you? Take an Adderall from one of their buddies and end up dead. You have to understand just how powerful fentanyl is. You have to understand that it is being pushed into the American system and it's getting our kids addicted and it's killing our kids. I've had three family members die. This is very personal to me. I just, my, my son just had a friend of his pass away just within the last couple of weeks. This is serious business. I don't know anybody personally in my life, in my circles that died from COVID. 
which took up three years of our lives. But I know many, many, many people, many kids, many families that have been destroyed by heroin and opioid addiction. And here comes fentanyl. So we have to be aware of all of these different things. Let me get into the headlines. This is something that Donald Trump put out because I want to start with him and I want to just go through some headlines here. I want to talk about Donald Trump and Robert F. Kennedy Jr. We're going to have our conversation with Michael Brown, the DEA agent and Army Ranger, but I want to tie things together for you again because I try to make it simple and I try to make it easy to understand so that you can explain it to your friends. It's very important that you have a grasp of the information well enough to start telling your friends and family members what is going on in the world, what's really going on in the world, because you can no longer just say somebody else is going to fix it. This is from Donald Trump. I don't like reading scripts. I'm going to do the best I can here. It says, now, illegal leaks from a corrupt and highly political Manhattan district attorney's office, which has allowed new records to be set in violent crime and whose leader is funded by George Soros, indicate that with no crime being able to be proven and based on an old and fully debunked by numerous other prosecutors, fairy tale, the far and away leading Republican candidate and former president of the United States of America will be arrested on Tuesday of next week, protest, take our nation back. And I think when I hear that, I wish Donald Trump would have been protesting on behalf of the January 6th prisoners because Donald Trump works for us. We don't work for Donald Trump. And that, when I watch Donald Trump and I pay attention to him very closely, we are always defending him. He always says he's going to protect us, but he didn't protect you from COVID-19. He didn't protect you from the deadly mRNA vaccines slash gene therapies, did he? He didn't protect you from mail-in balloting, which destroyed the 2020 election, and he didn't explain to you how the elections were going to be rigged because it happened again in 2022. Think of these things. Chip Roy, uh, who you would have thought would have been a big Donald Trump supporter, is now endorsing Ron DeSantis. Uh, Chip Roy endorses Ron DeSantis before official presidential bid. He, He is quoted as saying, America needs a leader who will truly defend her and empower the people against the destructive force of unrestrained government and corporate access and woke and woke cultural indoctrination. The corporate excess, I think he's pointing at a Donald Trump because the biggest wealth transfer, the biggest wealth transfer in American history happened around COVID orchestrated through Donald Trump. Willingly or unwillingly, it doesn't matter to me. Um, That's what happened. Here's Matt Taibbi. We talked about him last week. This is a famed reporter, progressive liberal. He He had access because of Elon Musk into the Twitter files and testified before Congress that the FBI, among other uh, government agencies, were censoring and spying and tracking on American citizens through Twitter. So if you had a narrative outside of the mainstream, which was all lies, those are the people that were lying. The people that were trying to tell you the truth were being censored. Doesn't that bother you at the very least? that you know your media and your government were lying to you, look right in the cameras and lied to you day after day after day about COVID, about January 6th, about everything, spy balloons, you name it. They're constantly lying. And the people that were trying to tell you the truth were censored. They couldn't get their information out there. It's, it's, it's incredible. It really is. Here is what Matt Taibbi put out on Twitter. It says, I dutifully got the vaccine and all boosters. 
The Virality Project shows a clear desire to de-amplify or cover up true stories of side effects and is the first thing I've read that's made me think twice about the shot. Trying to force trust, they had the opposite effect, talking about the government forcing trust down your throat. I talked about it on episode 30 of my podcast. When both political parties and every organization and every industry that you trust comes out and tells you to take an experimental gene therapy that they sold as vaccines, maybe your antenna goes up and goes, what's going on around here? What is happening? Why aren't the people that are opposed to these mRNA technologies being heard? Why are they being suppressed? Down here in Florida, Surgeon General Joe Ladapo, L-A-D-A-P-O, Joe Ladapo, says mRNA vaccines have a terrible safety profile. I don't think anyone should be taking them. That's the Surgeon General down here in Florida. Robert F. Kennedy Jr., who we're going to talk about a lot in this particular show, because I think if you look at what's going on between what he's saying and what Donald Trump is saying, Donald Trump is still playing games. And Robert F. Kennedy is going on all the, alter- all the alternative media sources. He wrote the book about Fauci, but he's telling you the truth about government corruption. He's telling you the truth about COVID-19. He's telling you the truth about January 6th protests. So who are you going for? Do you say, you know, well, he's a Democrat, therefore there's no way I can even listen to what he has to say. I think that's a big mistake. I think when you align yourself with either one of these political parties, you're making a huge mistake because they are, it's a uniparty up there. And you're going to need people from outside of these parties to get the truth out. Or some an insider like Robert F. Kennedy Jr. telling you what's going on inside the D.C. bubble. Here is what he has to say. It says, the pharmaceutical companies were window dressing what was a huge military operation. The Pentagon did not, the Pentagon did not want to put on the product. This is a Defense Department made product. So they essentially paid the pharmaceutical companies for their brand name, meaning they didn't want to tell you that the COVID gene therapy slash vaccines, well, it was a military operation. They didn't want to tell you that. So they stamped the labels of Moderna and Pfizer on top of them. They were working in cooperation with the pharmaceutical companies. As I have said from the very beginning, all the way back to episode seven, this was a military operation along with the pharmaceutical companies because again the pharmaceutical companies are the government the government is the pharmaceutical companies the defense contractors are the government the government is the defense contracting business the media is the government the government is the media it's just one big show for you to digest tim pool who has a show called uh, tim cast i believe not a huge fan of his but he put out on twitter and it says We must actively destroy the Democrat and Republican parties, to which Elon Musk put the exclamation points afterwards, meaning he agreed with it. And I agree with it. We have to recognize that this is a one-party system. You have the Republicans who just just can't stop the Democrats from getting to where they want to go. They say all the things we want to hear, but they just can't stop anything. It's like professional wrestling. They have their role to play. The Democrats have their role to play, and we get caught up in the spokes. And the sooner we recognize that this war is coming against the American people, it is authoritarian rule being put into place right before our very eyes, and we're just going to sleepwalk right into it. Uh, We have to get our act together. Segment two coming uh, up in just a minute. We'll be back. Stick around. Carter Show. 
The Rob Carter Show. All right, everybody, welcome back. We are going to get into the Donald Trump story here in just a second, but I want to remind you that we have a conversation coming up that you need to listen to. Michael W. Brown, former DEA, former Army Ranger. He is the director of counter-narcotics technology, and he hosts the Opioid Matrix on Spotify, where he talks about the drug cartels and the dangers of fentanyl right here in the United States. And our government, I got to tell you, is not doing much to stop it. In fact, they are not doing anything that I can see to stop it. And thousands and thousands, hundreds of thousands of kids are going to die unless we are aware of it. Recreational drugs, whether it be Adderall, whether it be methamphetamine, cocaine, even marijuana, are all being laced with fentanyl. Very addictive, and it can kill you the first time you take it. So if you have kids that are in that party age, you might want to be aware of this conversation. Listen very closely to it because it may end up saving your child's life. Let me get back to Donald Trump because this, this makes me nervous the way this is going to play out because all of the media attention is going to go to Donald Trump this week. And you have to understand what the media is about. It is about distortion of information. It is a distraction from reality. It is to protect the corporate interests globally. And they want to consolidate power. Remember, again, the largest wealth transfer in American history took place around COVID. This is all being orchestrated. Everything, the banks, we're going to talk about that here in just a minute with SVB Bank. Silicon Valley Bank. All of these things are coordinated if you understand what's going on. If you don't, if this is too complicated for you, if you just don't care, if you think everything's going to be just fine, uh, you are living in fantasy land. This is happening very quickly. They have an agenda. They are putting it in place. Everybody who's paying attention knows it, and we are screaming from the top of the mountains, pay attention. This is a war against free people. This is not a left-right issue. This is not a Democrat-Republican issue. This is a free people versus authoritarian globalist policies that will strip your freedoms away. That's what's happening. So let's just pay attention. Before we get into what's going on with Donald Trump, let's just do a recap of what, what has happened here in the last few weeks. We learned recently that the January 6th protest was orchestrated. We learned that the January 6th committee was a fraud from top to bottom. They withheld exculpatory information that put our fellow citizens citizens in jail when they were invited in by the Capitol Police. What you saw on your television screens was a violent beating down of the doors, but you don't know who those people were. You don't know what that was all about. You don't understand that they can make events happen, sell them on the media, and sell you a fake narrative that makes you angry. I had one of my closest friends in the world call my office and call me a January 6th insurrectionist a-hole. This is somebody that I was very close with. And I'm thinking, what is he talking about? I went there to report on January 6th. I didn't go inside the Capitol building, but I recognized what was happening as it was going on. And certainly when I got done with it and really just rethought through the day what had happened, you recognize it was an event, an orchestrated event. Former CDC Director Robert Redfield 
He testified to Congress that several government agencies, including the DOD and the State Department, funded gain-of-function research in China. So as Donald Trump calls it the China virus, what is our, as Americans, what is our uh, role in what happened with COVID-19? If we were funding the research in China, and supposedly China is our enemy, does that make any sense to you? Doesn't make any sense to me. But the director of the CDC testified that multiple agencies within the United States government were funding gain-of-research technology in China. Victoria Newland testified that the United States has bio-research labs in Ukraine. So isn't it interesting that the Bidens have interest in China, where the China virus came from, and they have interest in Ukraine, where we are sending billions of dollars to fight the Russians, and the president of the United States and his son are involved in both places? Isn't that kind of bizarre to you? Doesn't that make you raise your eyebrows just a bit? How about Matt Taibbi? He's a famed journalist. He's a progressive. He's a Democrat. And he testified that the FBI and other U.S. agencies were censoring people on Twitter. So all of the real news, all of the information that was true was being censored. And all of the fake news from the corporate press was being jammed down your throat. So you were taking in the lies as the truth, and you were being told the truth was a lie. That's what I've been trying to explain for three years. But it's all coming together simultaneously, and as all of that information comes together, we are going to go out and defend Donald Trump because he's being arrested. Very interesting timing, is it not? They impeached him twice. Throughout his entire presidency, there was heat on him. Any day he could be arrested. Remember, that's the way it was going down when he was president of the United States. Russian collusion at the beginning. Then he had the quid pro quo with with Ukraine. I can never say that easily. The quid pro quo with Ukraine. Uh, then he had the January 6th grand insurrection led by a guy dressed as a Viking. Unarmed insurrection, mind you. They never found the pipe bomber from January 6th. They never did anything to Ray Epps, who's on tape instigating it. And he had the fans chanting, fed, 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 as he's doing it, because people are aware of what's happening here. But the media is not going to tell you. We now know that the FBI and the media covered up the Hunter Biden laptop. They told you it was Russian disinformation from the very beginning. They pounded it on all of their media outlets. And now we find out that the Hunter Biden laptop that has very incriminating evidence on it was all real. But nobody just, we just move on. Now we're going to have to defend Trump. That's the most important thing. Not all of these things that are happening to us. We have to defend Donald Trump. And most recently, Silicon Valley Bank collapsed, and it's being, uh, don't worry, the government's going to come to their defense. I want to explain how all of these things tie together here in just a minute, but I want you to be aware that it is very possible that Donald Trump being arrested at this particular time is nothing more than a distraction from all of those things that have just come to light recently. Remember, they were floating spy balloons, all of these crazy things, everything to distract you from what's right before your very eyes. Everything that you know to be true, you're just not putting together because you're living your lives, you're paying your bills, and you're raising your family. I get it. But there is a war being waged against you. That's why I want to talk about what's going on with the opioid crisis. That's just another piece of it. But there is a war being waged against the American people, and we had better get with it. We better understand it to protect ourselves. I'm not even sure there's much you can do. But you have to be aware so you can protect your family, uh, make your friends aware. Uh, There has to be some way to get out of this mess, but we have to recognize that we're in one, 
before we can act is the way I see it. I want to start with this very first clip. This is Tucker Carlson. I was very tough on him last week uh, because I don't know where Tucker Carlson sits, uh, but he is starting to tell the truth. This is a fabulous clip where he just outs himself. He outs the media. And again, when you hear him say this, you have to ask yourself, how can he say these things and then run back to Fox News and do a primetime show? You have to ask yourself, what's going on there? Because Tucker Carlson's father was in the intel business. He was in the communication business. And now Tucker Carlson is telling you, again, very similar to Trump. I'm not saying he is, but very similar to Trump. He tells you what you can see with your own eyes. He's the one person out there in the media that's telling you what you know to be true. But then he's going to go back to Fox News and do a show. It just doesn't make any sense to me. Clip number one, Tucker Carlson. Ready? Go. Like, I've spent my whole life in the media. My dad was in the media. Like, that is a big part of the revelation that's changed my life is the media are part of the control apparatus. Like there's no, yeah, I know, I know. Cause you're younger and smarter and you're like, yeah. Yeah. But what if you're me and you spent your whole life in that world and to look around and all of a sudden you're like, oh, wow. Not only are they part of the problem, but I spent most of my life being part of the problem defending the Iraq war. Like I actually did that. Can you imagine if you did that? Well, what do you think? What is one of your biggest regrets in your career? Oh, defending the Iraq war. That is it. Well, I've had a million regrets, not being more skeptical, calling people names when I should have listened to what they were saying. Look, when you when someone makes a claim, there's only one question that's important at the very beginning, which is, is the claim true or not? Mm. So I say, you know, you committed murder or you rigged the last election before you attack me as a crazy person for saying that. Maybe you should explain whether you did it or not. You right. know what I mean? Yeah. And for too long, I participated in the culture where I was like, anyone who thinks outside these pre-prescribed lanes is crazy, is a conspiracy theorist. And I just really regret that. I'm ashamed that I did that. And, and partly it was age, partly it was the world that I grew up in. So when you, when you look at me and you're like, yeah, of course they're part of the means of control. I'm like, that's obvious to you because you're 28, but I just didn't see it at all, at all. And I'm ashamed of that. Isn't that what the media tries to do, though? It, it's their only purpose. Right. They're not here to inform you. Really? Even on the big things that really matter, like the economy and war and COVID and like things that really matter that will affect you. No, their job is not to inform you. They are working for the small group of people who actually run the world. They're their servants. They're their Praetorian guard. And we should treat them with maximum contempt because they have earned it. And they have earned it. And I have been talking about that for three years. And now Tucker is beginning to understand it. When we were talking about the nonsense around COVID, the data manipulation, the restriction of treatments, the push toward gene therapies, that they changed the definition to vaccines, all right? They changed the definition and then sold you an experimental medicine to stick in your arm or you couldn't travel, you couldn't keep your job, you couldn't be a nurse, you couldn't be a fireman, you couldn't be a cop, you couldn't be a military member. Uh, those are really serious things that Donald Trump was a part of. He may not have mandated it, but he sold the COVID-19 lie from top to bottom. And we must be aware of his role in that game because he was telling people to get boosters way after the fact when most of the people in the United States had stopped taking them and knew that we were lied to. I want to play this next clip because the big information at the end of last week and the beginning of um, – and the beginning of last week was 
the SVB bank collapse. Now, I'm not a financial person. I just try to tie things together uh, so that you understand how the system is being devised. The one thing you have to understand about this bank collapse is that the consolidation of everything is the game. When you just think about it, it is you have to put things in, in, in you have to take small things, tie them together, make them bigger so it's easier to control. If you have a hundred ants moving around, they're harder to control than when you put 50 ants in one box and 50 in the other. Then they're easier to control. So they are trying to consolidate the banks. This is the major goal. This is Janet Yellen giving testimony. Listen very closely to what she has to say because it explains it perfectly as to what is really going on. And Janet Yellen is a club member big time. Clip number one, eight, Janet Yellen. Testimony before Congress. Ready. Go. Will the deposits in every community bank in Oklahoma, regardless of their size, be fully insured now? Are they fully recovered? Every bank, every community bank in Oklahoma, regardless of the size of the deposit, will they get the same treatment that SVBP just got or Signature Bank just got? A bank only gets that treatment if a majority of the FDIC board, a supermajority, a supermajority of the Fed board, and I, in consultation with the president, determine that the failure to protect uninsured depositors would create systemic risk and significant economic and financial consequences. So what is and your we plan? Made that determination. Right. right. So, so what is your banks. plan to keep large depositors from moving their funds out of community banks into the big banks? We have seen the mergers of banks over the past decade. I'm concerned you're about to accelerate that by encouraging anyone who has a large deposit in a community bank to say, we're not going to make you whole, but if you go to one of our preferred banks, we will make you whole at that point. Um, look, I mean, we're, that's certainly not something that we're encouraging. That is happening right now. That is happening because depositors are concerned about the bank failures that have happened and whether or not other banks could also um, no, it, it, fail. No, it's happening and because it's, you're fully insured no matter what the amount is. If you're in a big bank, you're not fully insured if you're in a community bank. Well, Do you get it? Do you see how the system works? She's a club member. She's running the Treasury. And what they're saying is if you look at the way banks are constructed – you don't want your big depositors to leave. So the FDA, FDIC will insure anybody up to $250,000. So if you're a small, if you have a $50,000 in the bank or $5,000 in the bank, who cares? What the banks care about is the people with $5 million, $10 million, $15 million. Those people cannot keep their uh, deposits in these smaller banks because they're not insured. But if they move them over to the big banks, they don't have to worry about their money. So all of the big depositors are going to get out of regional small banks and into the big banks as they consolidate. And the ultimate goal is CDBC, Central Bank Digital Currency, because once you don't have freedom of transaction and the government can turn off and on your money digitally, checkmate. Stick with us. We'll be right back. SR1 Sundays.
everybody. Welcome back to the Rob Carter Show. That is Billy Joel and the song Big Shot, which I think is going to lead us perfectly into this conversation that I want to have about Donald John Trump and Robert F. Kennedy Jr. Before I get into that conversation, I want to remind you to stick around for the second hour. We have Michael W. Brown, former DEA, former Army Ranger, and we are going to get deep into the conversation about opioids and fentanyl. He's been around the game since 1989. He understands the danger of fentanyl. He understands how the drug cartels work. It is a very enlightening conversation. I beg of you, if you have kids that are of high school age, college age, you need to pay attention to this conversation because one mistake can cost you your life. This fentanyl is no, this is no game. This is very serious. It's an extension of the war against free people. Because if we had a government protecting us, protecting us, they would put an end to it. But they don't care. They've got other interests bigger and stronger than the fentanyl crisis, which has killed over 170,000 young people in recent history. Right? If, if 170,000 people were being mowed down by guns, the world would be going crazy. But if it's, hey, I'm going to take a, an Adderall because I want to study for a test and I'm dead the next day, nobody seems to care about that. It's just our kids. Our government certainly doesn't care because they're doing nothing to stop it. So I want to get into that conversation in the second hour. Get your kids, pay attention to it, understand what is happening. Uh, second hour, Michael W. Brown. Now, let me get back to Donald John Trump and Robert F. Kennedy Jr. because I believe with all of my heart that next week is going to be nothing more than a distraction from the news that was all coming to the surface. The news about COVID-19, the lie. The news about the January 6th, Grand insurrection led by a guy dressed as a Viking, that lie. And the lie about our elections being on the up and up. All of that information was coming to was coming to the top. And now, mysteriously, after all these years, six years of chasing Donald Trump around, as that information comes to the surface, now we have to defend Donald Trump because he's being arrested. And everybody will. All of the Donald Trump supporters will come to his rescue. Um, I highly doubt that you're going to be seeing Donald Trump giving interviews behind bars with gangbangers on each arm. I don't think that's going to happen. He has the Secret Service. Nothing's going to go down. He's going to use it for all of the political capital that he, that he will get from it because he's going to be the martyr again. But we should be paying attention to the information that came out over the last month. And we won't. We won't. It'll be a distraction. Remember what the media is there to do. It is there to distort and distract you from reality. Whereas Robert F. Kennedy Jr., he's out there telling you the truth. He wrote the book about Fauci. Robert F. Kennedy is the one that has connected COVID, the war, the United Nations, the World Economic Forum, and the CIA together. He's explaining how our system, the corrupt system, works. It's very brave what he's doing. It's almost like he's at the end of a bad marriage. Guys, I've been there. So if you've been there, you kind of understand it where your spirit is broken and you start taking on hobbies that are very dangerous. You're into knife juggling all of a sudden. Uh, you're into skydiving and wrestling tigers because you really don't care if you die. You're willing to take the risk because you're miserable. That's the kind of bravery that he's showing. He is almost saying, I don't care if I die because you don't have to look far in the rearview mirror to recognize that his father was assassinated, his uncle was assassinated, John F. Kennedy Jr. died in a mysterious plane crash, and Hillary Clinton took the Senate seat that he would have had. All of these things have to be in his mind, and yet he's still out there explaining how the military and the CIA and this entire swamp, this corrupt system, works. Here is Robert F. Kennedy, clip number one. Pay very close attention because he explains how politicians that get into power can be co-opted and often are co-opted right away. 
Clip number two, one, Robert F. Kennedy. Ready? Go. Presidential candidates, whether it's Obama or President Trump or Biden, come into office saying, I'm going to get rid of the swamp. I'm going to get rid of the corruption. But then they get in there and something happens. You know, Trump, Trump got in there saying, I'm going to get rid of the swamp. He asked me to be on a vaccine safety commission. And that news got out. Pfizer gave him a million dollars for the inauguration and then for his inaugural party. And then he appointed two of Pfizer's lobbyists, Scott Gottlieb and Alex Azar, to run HHS. And they killed the Vaccine Safety Commission. And then Gottlieb went to serve on Pfizer's board. That is the swamp. And, you know, when these guys get in there, they... What happens to them, they, they either get co-opted because all the money and because all the congressional chairs are, are captured by those agencies, so they can't do anything unless they do what they're told. Congressional chairs captured. And doesn't that seem to be the truth when you pay attention? Doesn't everybody recognize by now that the Senate and the House, these people up in D.C., are not protecting your best interest? Isn't that obvious at this point? So who are they reporting to? Where are they getting their marching orders? Does anybody really believe that Joseph Magoo Biden is running this country? Does anybody see him behind a desk saying, hey, what do you think? What do you think? And weighing information and making a decision? Of course not. The guy is a complete and total puppet. So who's calling the shots? It's corporate interest. It's the World Economic Forum. It's global oligarchies, and they are protected by the media and the intelligence agencies. That's what's happening. And normally, most people would say, you know what? Life's good enough. We're going to let it go. But when they start telling you to stick a needle in your arm with experimental medicine, that might be the time for you to say, wait a minute here, hang on just a second. And now they're leading us into apparently a war with Russia, a nuclear power that could end the planet with the press of a button, and everybody just goes on about their day like nothing's happening. It's, it's really strange to watch, but people must be interested in it before we can stop it. They must be awake to reality before we can do anything about it. So you must recognize it. You must tell your friends. You must tell your family. You must get them involved in their country or we are going to sleepwalk right off the cliff. You can see it happening. You know, Janet Yellen in the last uh, segment where she talked about the big banks being protected by the government and the smaller regional banks would not be protected. What do you think is going to happen? We've been talking about central bank digital currencies for a long time. Well, that's what's going to happen. The small banks... They're, if you have under $250,000, you are protected by the FDIC. So if you have under $250,000 in an account, you are protected. But that's not what keeps the banks alive. What keeps the banks alive are big depositors. So if you have $5 million, $6 million, $10 million, $20 million in a bank, you can't keep it in a small bank because it's not insured. What is insured are these, uh, these big banks, and they are going to move all of their capital into the big banks, which is going to collapse the small banks consolidate the big banks, and then it's ripe for central bank digital currency. Because right now you have the freedom of transaction. What if they take that freedom away? And every transaction you make is monitored by the federal government. And what if you are deemed a terrorist for supporting Donald Trump and they say, you know what, we're looking for you so you can no longer use money. You can't have physical cash anymore. I was just at the hockey game in Vegas, and that is a, uh, again, that's a, that's a venue where you can't use cash. They float it, and then it ends up everywhere, and people are just going to sleepwalk right into this trap unless you know what's going on. Now, here is Donald John Trump again. It's the same old song and dance. 
I want you to pay attention to what he has to say, and then I'm going to recap it for you. This is Donald John Trump, uh, clip number 2-8. Ready, go. These four horrible, radical-left Democrat investigations of your all-time favorite president, me, is just a continuation of the most disgusting witch hunt in the history of our country. It's gone on forever with Russia, 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 and Ukraine, 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 and the Mueller hoax. It's an absolute disgrace what's going on. They even spied on my campaign. And remember this, with all of the work that they did on Mueller, no collusion. That's what the answer was, was all no collusion. Whether it's the Mar-a-Lago raid or the unselect committee hoax, the perfect Georgia phone call, it was absolutely perfect, or the stormy horse-faced Daniels extortion plot, They're all sick, and it's fake news. Our enemies are desperate to stop us because they know that we are the only ones who can stop them, and they know it very strongly. And they're looking at the polls where, not me, but we are up by so much. They can't even believe it. We won twice, and now we've got to win a third time. They know that we can defeat them. They know that we will defeat them. But they're not coming after me. They're coming after you. I'm just standing in their way. We are going to defeat them. And I wonder how we're going to defeat them when the election system has not been changed. What is going to be different this time around? If Donald Trump believes that his election was stolen in 2020, what is different about 2024? Nothing. You saw the election get stolen in 2022, the midterms with Kerry Lake and Katie Hobbs. You got to watch it again. These elections are rigged and manipulated at the top. And so what is going to happen if Donald Trump runs again? What is going to be different? I don't understand how it's going to play out any different. And he's not explaining it to you. Nobody is explaining it to you. And look at all the things that he mentioned. You know, if you believe that Donald Trump is is going to protect us from the establishment, why didn't they get him on Russia collusion? Couldn't they have just made it up? I mean, they frame everybody else. They They can't frame Donald Trump. Ukraine with the quid pro quo. Two impeachments. Stormy horse face Daniels. Now that stuff used to be funny, but when he didn't protect you, when he didn't drain the swamp and only made it stronger, those jokes no longer, they no, no longer uh, have the same effect. They're no longer funny. It's no longer cute anymore. Mar-a-Lago, the raid on Mar-a-Lago, what happened to that? Remember he had secret documents and then Joe Biden had secret documents. That's all gone, right? Just another media distraction. The January Select Committee, just another distraction. Nothing happened there. Georgia, that phone call, I listened to that phone call. And what I recognized in that phone call, which he says was perfect, was that he didn't give them all of the information that they could use. If that information, if he knew that that phone call was going to be released to the public, why didn't he say, hey, did you pay attention to what happened with all of the testimony before the state senates? Did you see what went down in your state? Because the information of fraud was overwhelming, and he didn't really push it. He kind of tiptoed around the corner like he didn't want to get himself in trouble. The phone call was not perfect. It was docile and ridiculous. And I listened to it. I played it on my show. Uh, It is Donald Trump, people on his side, people that believe in him, must demand that he answer questions. He cannot continue to go on Sean Hannity and be dealt with kid gloves. He has to answer for his role in the establishment game of COVID-19 of ushering mail-in ballots because of COVID-19 and all of the things that took place underneath his watch. Because again, remember, the biggest wealth transfer 
in American history was was surrounded, was happened, it all took place around COVID. That's very important to remember because they are consolidating power as we're defending Donald Trump. And again, if he has some wonderful plan behind the scenes, you and I don't understand what's happening there. We don't understand it. So maybe if he would just come clean and tell us what's going down, I'd feel a little more comfortable supporting Donald Trump because I'd love to. I was a huge fan for a long time. Here is Robert F. Kennedy Jr. explaining how the CIA has turned their tools against the American people, something I've been saying for a long time. Clip number 2-2, Robert F. Kennedy Jr., go. You know, with the election of Trump and with Brexit, it seems like at that point the intelligence agencies made a decision to turn all of those weapons onto um, the American people. And we saw this this extraordinary propaganda campaign at the beginning of the pandemic and the, the to the extent that people just say, oh, well, you know, the CIA wouldn't do that to America. It's illegal to propagandize America. It isn't anymore. During the, the Bush, during the Obama administration, that law was uh, essentially that old law that had forbidden was overrided, and it was also overwritten in the Patriot Act. And- I've talked about that how many times on this show? What he couldn't uh, seem to remember there was the Smith-Munt Act. Uh, when it was changed, the Smith-Munt Act was to keep the American government from propagandizing the American people. There was a, uh, it was called the Smith-Munt, and it's spelled M-U-N-D-T, the Smith-Munt Modernization Act, stripped all of the regulations away so that the United States government could propagandize against the American people. So now what you're seeing is a propaganda campaign, a lie, being perpetrated upon the American people about everything that the American government is doing against their own people. A very scary situation. Nobody seems to understand it, but he's trying to explain it to you. He's talking about the Patriot Act again. If you go to the airport and you remember how it used to be uh, before 9-11, the airport, you could get your ticket, go right to your uh, gate, and everything was fine. Now, you have to prove that you're innocent every time you travel. The same thing is going to happen with currency. You're going to get the government between you and spending money. And what happens at that point? Because that, to me, seems like checkmate. If you go out to buy food and you can't, they won't take cash, and your digital currency won't work because the government turned it off. Where are we at at that point? Robert F. Kennedy Jr. is telling you the truth. Donald Trump is playing games. Pay attention to it. Uh, One shout-out to the sponsors, Pure Cure Coffee. Still the greatest coffee that I've ever had in my life. P-U-R-C-U-R-Coffee.com. P-U-R-C-U-R-Coffee.com. The most delicious coffee, fresh. They send it directly to your house. You should support the sponsors. There is no better coffee out there than Pure Cure. If you try it once, you'll be hooked. It'll begin every day for you. I love it. My wife loves it. All of my friends that I've hooked up with it love it. I haven't heard a bad word about it. Pure Cure Coffee, it is the very best, and you must support the sponsors. P-U-R-C-U-R-Coffee.com. Stick around. Michael W. Brown, DEA, Army Ranger. We're going to talk about the fentanyl crisis. Second hour coming up. Stick with us through the break. Stick with us through the break. We'll be right back. everybody welcome back to the rob carter show hour number two and as promised 
We are going to play the conversation Frankie and I had yesterday with Michael W. Brown. Let me read to you his resume very quickly. Rigaku, it's spelled R-I-G-A-K-U, Rigaku Analytical Devices, Director of Counter-Narcotics Technology, host of the Rigaku Opioid Matrix, former DEA, farm, former Army Ranger. This guy knows everything about the drug cartels, about the drugs that are being shipped into the United States, and how dangerous it is that we are turning a blind eye to what is going on with these opioids and fentanyl, fentanyl especially. Uh, because the information that he's about to give to us is very concerning, and I think it is something that all parents should be aware of. We have to have these conversations with our kids, especially if you have somebody in the high school or college age range. Uh, you can try something one time and be dead, not things that we had to worry about back in our day. The first question I asked him was about the supply chain. How does it all work? Where do the drugs come from? Uh, do they go through China, through Mexico? He explains the entire process, the supply chain and the distribution process of fentanyl and opioids into the United States system. Clip number six, three, ready, go. And it, it's, it's, I, I call it the fentanyl precursor supply chain, right? Precursors required to make fentanyl are then shipped from China to the cartels in Mexico. The cartels then take those precursors and then turn it into fentanyl powder or a pill. But this is nothing new. The cartels have been doing this with making heroin, cocaine, and, of course, methamphetamine, which is 100% synthetic, right? The majority of those precursors have been coming from China for the last 30 to 40 years, right? So there are well-established criminal networks who work with the cartels, mostly the Chinese organizations, and facilitate the procurement and transshipment of these precursors to Mexico. That's one leg of it. Once they get to Mexico, say, for example, the Sinaloa cartel or the Jalisco cartel takes those precursors to laboratories spread out all over their territory, produce fentanyl. You know, I mean, they're putting out a million pills a day in some of these laboratories, wow. right? Those pills are then collected, and then they're smuggled across any one of the 300 official border checkpoints concealed in cars, cargo, tractor trailers, and containers. They breach through into the United States, then they disappear into the interior of America and wind up on every street corner uh, in the country. Mm -hmm. So it's just a network. It's just a drug network like, it's a, a drug like any other network. business. Any other business. So, mm -hmm. What happens when these people get caught at the borders? And what do you think the... Um, the rate of people being caught. So if 10 cars come across, is one being caught? Uh, do we have any sense of how many, uh, you know, as the drugs are coming across the border, uh, how many are getting caught? What is the percentage that get through? And what happens to those people that do get caught? What is the penalty? Well, you know, the math is hard to do because we don't know how much the cartels are actually producing because we don't know how many, what, what's the quantity of precursors, right? So it's hard to figure out their production rate versus what we're seizing. But based off of old data, we know whatever we're seizing, Usually it's less than 1% of the actual production level, right? So if we seize a million pills in the trunk of a car, we can accurately anticipate that 5 or 10 million pills got through into the interior. Wow. And, you know, and depending on where they're caught, um, you know, an individual may be caught with fentanyl in his car in California, such as many have been, and they're out of jail the next day, right? Soft on crime, new drug policies in some states do not detain these individuals who are caught with fentanyl. Right. They're released. Uh, no bail. And then they're back on the street and then they get caught again six months later. So it's a big problem. So fentanyl, in my opinion, is such a danger to society. Why isn't there a standard federal mandate when you get caught with fentanyl over, let's say, three, three ounces? There's you, there's no bond. Right. You're in jail and you're prosecuted 
for distribution of, of a deadly substance. Mm-hmm. So Correct. we need to reframe our entire legal system to deal with fentanyl. And, you know, when we say fentanyl, what are we talking about? Because right now, fentanyl is a Schedule II controlled substance. Every hospital in the country uses fentanyl for pain management. Mm-hmm. Cartel fentanyl is different. This is clandestinely produced fentanyl. This is not pharmaceutical grade fentanyl. It should be rescheduled as a Schedule One with federal minimum mandatory guidelines associated with it. So what he's trying to say is that this is such a dangerous situation that if you get caught with distributing fentanyl, there should be minimum mandatory sentences. We should get very tough because this cartel fentanyl is designed to addict you. It's not used for pain. It's designed to get you addicted so that you become a long-term customer. If it wrecks your life, if it kills you, that's just a part of doing business. That's what these drug cartels are all about. Now that you have that in the back of your mind, I want you to listen to Joseph Biden back in 1994. This is the president of the United States who turns a blind eye to the borders. We have drugs coming across. We have child trafficking coming across our southern border. We have human trafficking coming across our southern border. And he turns a blind eye, nice and soft on crime. But this is what he was talking about in 1994 as it applies to crack cocaine. Check this out. Adolf Magoo Biden, clip number 5-7. Ready, go. If you have a piece of crack cocaine, no bigger than this quarter that I'm holding in my hand, one quarter of one dollar, we passed a law through the leadership of Senator Thurman and myself and others, a law that says, if you're caught with that, you go to jail for five years. You get no probation. You get nothing other than five years in jail. Judge doesn't have a choice. Under our forfeiture statutes, you can, the government can, take everything you own. Everything from your car to your house, your bank account, not merely what they confiscate in terms of the dollars from the transaction. Unbelievable the difference in the way Adolph Magoo Biden is going about drugs now, right? In 1994, he was the conservative Democrat tough guy. Now that he's a puppet president and has many corporate interests that aren't yours, now it's just let him bring in synthetic, uh, synthetic drugs, fentanyl. If our kids die from it, that is what it is. Doesn't seem to care, doesn't talk about it. He wants to talk about making sure you get your boosters. Anything but the drug crisis, the elections. Uh, it's a complete disaster what's going on in this country. And remember, as I keep trying to remind people, there is a war being waged against the American people. Here is what Michael Brown had to say about the drug cartels and the attack that we are all facing. Check this out. Clip number six, two, ready, go. Um, you, you don't get the whole picture when you listen to the five minutes, you know, the five minute expert on Fox or CNN, you get a blip, right? And right, they're only yeah. talking about what makes the headlines. They're not really getting into the, the meat of it. So people understand that really we are under attack, um, at psych warfare, if you want to call it that, by the, the cartels. Yeah. yeah. And of course, supported by the Chinese who are making billions of dollars in precursor chemicals, mm-hmm. supported by the Mexican government who've all been compromised up to the president all the way down. President 
compromised. Everybody all the way down the line being compromised is the way he describes it. Again, I think this is what's going on in America, and we talk about that a little bit later on in the conversation. But the Mexican drug cartel and the United States government seem to be uh, one and the same, especially when you talk about the conversation in Arizona that we had two weeks ago where that woman Jacqueline Brager said that the Sinaloa drug cartel had bought out the entire Arizona government, the media, uh, the police force, you know, p- p- pieces of the police force, the politicians, judges, everything through mo- uh, phony mortgage deeds. Now, that may that's almost escaped the news. Nobody's really even talking about that anymore. Uh, but when you listen to Michael Brown talk about how this system works, it becomes very evident that it's possible. And I ask him about that later on. So we'll play a clip of his answer to that very question a little bit later on in the conversation. But it is, uh, put it this way, it is very possible that not only is the Mexican uh, government swallowed up by these cartels, but the American government could be swallowed up by our drug cartels, which are Pfizer, Moderna, and even the illegal drug trade right here in America. It is very possible when we watch how the entire system works. Uh, This is a conversation we had about drug users because... There are two specific people they're going after, really three, but two in particular. Drug users who they want to get addicted, but they also want to attack non-drug users who might try something one time and all of a sudden they're addicted. Clip number six, one, ready, go. Yeah, um, you know, people don't, people don't realize that the cartels are actually targeting uh, these individuals who are not drug users, right? This is, this is uh, really a manslaughter situation where the traffickers know a large percentage of these individuals will die, but it, they're just they're just collateral damage to build a larger addiction population. Mm-hmm. Right there. This is what we call a second paradigm. This is the paradigm of individuals who take that occasional Adderall or Xanax, you know, or a muscle relaxer because you had a tough day at the gym. And the cartels see that that's a huge population of pill users that they can draw into addiction. Right. So now mm-hmm. they're targeting. These individuals with pills, because they know they're not traditional drug users. But once you take a couple of fentanyl pills, you get hooked. And now you're yeah. going to the dealer saying, hey, I need some more of those pills, and I'm going to take that risk. And that risk is killing our kids. You know, So people don't understand that this is a much more sinister situation than just drugs on the street, right? There's, yeah. there's, this, there's that other paradigm of traditional drug users, which you know they're using heroin. They've been on drugs for five or six years, and they understand the risk. And they like the fentanyl because it's a better high. They're actually seeking out fentanyl now. right? Wow. So the traffickers are, are selling to them. And now they're selling to the kids. You know, and then you have the Mexican market with legitimate pharmacies selling, you know, blood thinners, HIV medications, cancer medications that are now fentanyl and methamphetamine. So now they're targeting specific demographics of Americans who suffer from chronic illness. Mm-hmm. Want to draw really? them in. Wow. Absolutely. Wow. So they're going to draw them in and make them addicted. Right. So now you have those three paradigms of drug users who have no idea they're being sucked in uh, to long-term drug addiction or death. Mm. So it's, you know, it's, it's really, I mean, trafficking, traffickers have always been bad, right? Bad guys, right? Yeah. But it's, it's a different type of bad guy from when I started the job in 1989. You know, you had guys selling drugs on the corner that anybody would buy, mm-hmm. right? Now it's like the marketing strategy is, hey, we're going to seek out the most vulnerable in our society, because we know America's hooked on prescription drugs. So who's most vulnerable? Kids, teenagers, you know, people on cancer drugs who want something cheaper, come to Mexico and buy what looks to be legitimate. 
go back and they die. Or they take a placebo and then they die from their cancer because it doesn't do anything. Think of the evil. Think of the evil when you are, you're targeting your business to get citizens addicted when they are looking for cancer medications or some kind of pharmaceutical medication that has nothing to do with um, drugs or drug addiction in the person's mind. They're taking something for cancer and all of a sudden they're addicted to fentanyl. That's what these drug cartels are up to. So they're not just going after your kids. They're going after specific people within the population who are looking for relief from cancer or whatever it might be. It's really a very, when he said the, when he used the word sinister, boy, it is a very sinister situation. Now he talks about the key paradigms, the two paradigms of the drug addiction. He talks about the two key uh, paradigms in this particular uh, clip. Uh, number seven, five, ready, go. But as I said earlier, you know, we have to understand that there are two paradigms of drug addiction, right? The first paradigm is your traditional drug user. That individual has been on heroin or methamphetamine for years, right? Then they transition into fentanyl. And then you have that new paradigm. That's that 17-year-old high school star who took a Xanax or an Adderall from a friend and has no history of drug use, but now he's dead. He or she is dead. That And that new paradigm is being specifically targeted by the cartels because they know there are roughly 25 million Americans on prescription drugs right now for a host of a host of reasons, depression, anxiety, medical reasons. And that represents a huge demographic of potentially new drug users that they can pull in to long term addiction. So they started targeting these non drug users because they know they're going to take the pills. Right. But you can't always get the pills you need because your pharmacist, your doctor is only going to give you a small amount because of the Oxycontin situation. Nobody wants to go to jail for overprescribing. Mm-hmm. So what are you going to do? You're going to turn to the street and you're going to buy that Adderall from your friend. You're going to take it. You're going to either die or you're going to get addicted. And now your friend's like, yeah, I got some more of that good stuff. Hey, give me six pills. Give me seven pills. All right. So now you become now you're addicted. Now you're you've transitioned from the first paradigm to the second paradigm. Which now you're a customer. Now you're a customer, right? Forget about Adderall. What was in that? A fentanyl? I don't care. It was good. It helped me zone out. I want some more. Mm-hmm. And I'll take that six out of one chance that one of those pills has two milligrams of fentanyl and it's going to kill me. Think of what he said there, because if you remember the Purdue Pharma scandal, this is where they got Oxycontin through the FDA and turned a blind eye to the just synthetic heroin, basically. And people that were, you know, I've said it before, young kids that got a knee injury playing soccer in high school are now on uh, Oxycontin, and they're completely addicted to it. And when the drugs go away, they turn to the streets because they are physically and mentally addicted to this drug. They turn to the streets and end up on heroin. And that's a slow road to hell. You're either going to jail or you're going to die if you get addicted to heroin. And that was our own country. That was our own government that allowed that to happen. This FDA and CDC that Donald Trump threw out before us with the COVID-19 con job. Those are the same people. That's the same institution that allowed Oxycontin into the American bloodstream. Just incredible. Stick around. We'll be right back. All 
everybody. Welcome back. I just enjoyed a half a cup of Pure Cure Coffee. I don't want to keep reminding you, but you got to try out Pure Cure Coffee. It is the best coffee. If you are a coffee drinker, if you're a snob like me, and you got to have the best coffee, you got to give Pure Cure an opportunity. P-U-R-C-U-R-Coffee.com. P-U-R-C-U-R-Coffee.com. I love this coffee. Cannot get enough. Let me jump back into my conversation with Michael W. Brown because I asked him right away. I said, what is the difference? What are these highs all about? Uh, There are people, my dad was a drug and alcohol counselor. My father got sober January 14th, 1987. As he went through recovery, he ran halfway houses. I got very uh, educated on drugs and addiction and everything else. And he told me that heroin, these kids that got addicted to heroin, they said it was the greatest high. And once they got it, uh, they got addicted to it. It was just a nightmare to get these kids off of heroin. Apparently fentanyl is much more powerful than heroin. So you can only imagine the danger of young people getting addicted to this stuff. There, there has to be an end to it. We must, as a society, figure this thing out. But here is what he had to say about the fentanyl high. Clip number 6-4. Ready. Go. Well, fentanyl is about 50 times more powerful than heroin. It's a very strong sedative. It brings on a feeling of euphoria, euphoria. You relax, and then you basically pass out. Right. So, you know, if the if the high from heroin is is described as a really good high, then the high from fentanyl is like the best high there is. Mm. And you will see fentanyl or heroin users talking about, man, these guys got this new stuff on the corner. It's fentanyl. Let's give it a try. They go try it. And even though the risk of death is high, that means it must be really good. Right. We saw this with crack cocaine in the mid 90s. People transitioned from powder cocaine to crack cocaine because it hit you in seconds. Mm. You smoked it, you inhaled it, and man, it hit you like a brick. And that high was incredible. But that hook, once it was in, it never came out. We saw, I saw mothers selling their young daughters into prostitution, selling their babies, you know, starving their kids to make that, to get money to make that next high. And it completely devastated the inner city communities in Detroit. Communities of color suffered more because of the overarching economic issues that those communities face. Then you throw on top of that a very addictive drug and you see cities completely begin to disappear. Drugs of this nature steal your soul. And you parents that have had to go through it with your kids, if you've had, if you're a parent that had a child who got addicted to opioids or heroin, you know what I'm talking about. If you understand addiction, if you if you've if you're not an addictive person, if you've never been addicted to anything that's powerful like this, it's very difficult to explain to people that it's not willpower. It's not something you just turn off. Addiction is a powerful disease. Uh, the best way it was described to me was it becomes your universe. It's more important than anything in your world. You will do anything you have to do to get it. It's more important than your family. It's more important than your job. It's more important than your health. It's more important than money. Addiction, when you are truly addicted to something powerful like fentanyl, it becomes your whole world. Your entire day is, uh, is it's orchestrated to get the drug. That's the most important thing in your life and everything else be damned. And that's how you get into the homeless situation because I ask him about this as well. I go out to California all the time and the homeless situation out there is, it seems to be a drug addiction problem. And I ask him, 
What do you see with the homeless crisis and the fentanyl crisis? Are they one and the same? And here's how we answered the question. Uh, clip number six, five. Ready. Go. If you go back to the, the 30s and 40s, when there was a lot of homeless individuals, their perception was that they were bummed, right? That they dropped out of society and they hit the bottom ladder. And then they turned to alcohol because alcohol was a way to escape the misery of everyday life. So when you look at today's new homeless, right, they're not necessarily deadbeats and bums. They're, they're people who couldn't afford their mortgage. They lost their house. They got a divorce. Some, some traumatic situation happened and they wound up on the street. But then you're like, how do I deal with that reality? You know, you and I, we have jobs, we go home, like we may have stress, but life is pretty good. I mean, just imagine you lost everything today and now you're living under a bridge, right? With a tent and you're begging for food. That's bottom. That's as low as it gets. Mm -hmm. So how do you deal with that depression, right? You don't, you, you go get some methamphetamine, you get some fentanyl and you just zone out. You just disappear. You forget about it. But then that hook is in you. Now, every day you got You have to get your medicine. You have to get your meth. You have to get your fentanyl. And then that makes it very difficult to bring that person out of that homeless mindset because all they're concerned about is getting that next high and getting away from that reality. Which is interesting because I'd ask him earlier, is the drug addiction what's causing the homelessness? And he said it's it, there's two sides of that coin. If you're somebody who just falls on bad times, maybe you get sick, there's something going on, you can't, uh, uh, you don't have family, and there's no way to support yourself, there's just nothing you could do, and you end up on the street. Once you get on the street, you get so depressed, you start looking for escape, and drugs are all over the place, and you get hooked on drugs. And then the other person is the one who just tries out drugs for the first time, gets addicted, and then loses everything because of the addiction and end up on the street. Uh, but it is something that society is going to have to address. We have to get to the bottom of it, and we have to fix it. Here is what he had to say about a spring break. Because I'm down here in Florida, just came back from Vegas, and spring break is it's big business. And the drug cartels know that, so they are targeting spring break. They're trying to get your kids addicted to fentanyl right now. Here's what he had to say. Clip number seven, four. Ready, go. I'll start with that first question and we'll work back. You know, I was just on Fox News last night talking to Lawrence Jones about spring break in, in Miami. And before I went on, he was interviewing uh, college students. And he says, you know, what are you guys here to do? We're here to get high. We're here to drink. We're here to get buzzed. I'm high right now. I started drinking at three o'clock this afternoon. So they know about drugs. They know about fentanyl. But if you're if you're 17, 18 years old, you're in Miami and you're drunk and some dealer says, hey, you want some Oxycontin? You're going to take that Oxycontin, right? Mm -hmm. And hope, I, you know, I hope nobody in, in, in spring break dies from an overdose. But as I said on Fox News, spring break is like mad, March madness for the drug traffickers. This is the biggest sale opportunity of the year. Every drug trafficker in America is in spring break right now, stocked up to sell millions of dollars in narcotics, cocaine, methamphetamine, fentanyl ecstasy right huge party drug for the teens um so yeah this is you know they kids know about this stuff but they're still making the bad decisions that are costing them their lives right because when you're 17 you feel like you're invincible right right it's not going to happen to me it happened to john i'm smarter mm -hmm. i'm getting it from my friend mike who i really trust but who did mike get the drugs from right, right. Yep. he bought it from a guy he trusts who bought it from a guy in mexico who says yeah it's legit and then you're dead. As a parent, it is a very scary situation. Scares me to death. I think about it all the time because I have young kids. 
I got a daughter going off to college, and it makes me very nervous uh, that something bad could happen that's outside of her recognition. So uh, as a parent, and I know there's many of you out there that are concerned about it, must be aware of how this is all working and how dangerous the situation is and have these conversations with your kid. Make them aware of what they're doing. Because young kids do stupid things. They get out, they get drinking, they're free for the first time, and they make these mistakes, especially around spring break or going off to college for the first year. Uh, you have to be aware of how dangerous fentanyl is. It can end your life just like that. Um, I went on to ask him about the drug cartels because I think the legal drug cartels like uh, the American pharmaceutical industry is very similar and set up very similar to the illegal drug cartels. Here is the way he described it. Clip number seven, six, ready, go. Well, they know, they know people are going to die, right? It's an acceptable margin of error because if 10 people die, I'm going to make 20 new customers, right? If 100,000 people die, like roughly, I think 2020, 170,000 people died of drug-related overdoses, whether it was heroin or fentanyl. The traffickers are like, that's very small compared to the hundreds of thousands of customers. Mm. And if you think about some of these, the last seizures of fentanyl, right? I mean, like 2 million tablets were seized. That means 4 million tablets got through, but you don't see 4 million overdose deaths, right? You see 5 or 10 overdose deaths, which means that 4 million tablets got distributed and ingested and nothing happened. So how many customers does that 4 million tablets actually represent? 400,000 customers, 500,000 customers, a million customers? The majority of people who are taking fentanyl are not dying, but becoming long-term fentanyl addicts, and they're developing a tolerance, right? The more you take, the higher your tolerance. Mm -hmm. So that 2 milligrams, it gets you close to an overdose fatality, but if you've been using it for several months... You can probably manage that two milligrams, but now what do you do? You're going to start edging it up. You're going to take a pill and a half because now you're not even getting high from the two milligrams. Mm -hmm. So as you edge it up to two and a half, eh, maybe you get that hot pill and now you're dead. The more addicted you get, the more you need, and the more you take, the more danger you are in. Uh, it's the business of addiction. Now we want to talk about the uh, chemistry of it all because what he described to me um, in our pre-interview was that these drug cartels are, they have chemists on duty and they are working hard to make more and more addictive drugs. The more addictive, the better, because that is the business model. They get drug users addicted, they get non-users addicted, and all of a sudden the business grows and grows and grows. Here's the way he described it. Clip number seven, two, ready, go. You know, the cartels, they're very smart. I mean, they have PhD chemists working for them. They understand toxicology. They understand formulations. Um, you know, when we talk about fentanyl, I say fentanyl was the drug of yesterday. You know, the drug of today or natazines, right? These are synthetic um, sedatives such as photonatazine, which is three times more powerful than fentanyl, right? This can kill you. If fentanyl kills you in 30 seconds, this kills you in 15 seconds. Wow. So we're already seeing the evolution of what I call narcochemistry into more potent synthetic opioids that or that can addict you faster, if that's even possible, and definitely kill you faster. And the cartels, the cartels also see this. So this is the next evolution in narcochemistry. Um, and most of the people who are taking fentanyl or, or heroin are now seeking out fentanyl. Right. They transition successfully and the cartels are selling less heroin because they want you to buy fentanyl. 
And if you're addicted, you're not going to say, well, I'm not going to buy any fentanyl. I'm going to wait for the heroin guy to come. No, there is no more heroin guy. They control the market 100%. So if I'm selling fentanyl, you're going to buy fentanyl mm-hmm. and you're going to take didn't that you chance. Me, didn't you tell me there were some cities that uh, heroin's basically gone and now it's right. fentanyl. You can't get heroin. It's fentanyl. Yeah. Didn't you say Boston, Philly, Boston, of these places? Boston Philadelphia, uh, New York, uh, some of the bigger cities are starting to, f- I mean, think about it. They're phasing out a product to bring in a new product. Mm-hmm. Again, where they're following market strategies like Nike or Coca-Cola or yeah. anyone else who's bringing in a new product to replace an old product because distribution is better. And that's one thing I don't think many people understand is how this this is a business just like your legal businesses. They have branches, they have arms, they have uh, layers, and they infiltrate, they use their money, their power, their drug money to infiltrate governments. So it becomes a very difficult operation to stop because once the money starts piling in and you've got politicians, judges perhaps, uh, media personalities, when you start getting your your fingers into everything, including the police force, because we talk about that here in just a minute too, Uh, but once they get their fingers in all these different arenas, people get compromised. They start making money off the drug cartels themselves. Remember, the reason corruption works is because a lot of people live off of that corruption. And at some point, it becomes just a part of the way they do business. Um, These drugs uh, that are coming into the United States right now are so addictive. And you can only imagine what the next generation is going to be like. So these businesses know how to get you addicted. They know how to get it into your system, right? He said they targeted cancer patients because they're looking for relief they take this fentanyl drug immediately they're addicted to it and here we go these people had no idea that they were even taking a risk at all and the next thing you know they're dead and if they didn't get the fentanyl and the drug doesn't work they die because it was a placebo that they took that's the way he described it so you're damned if you do damned if you don't very stressful if you ask me if you want to get involved with the show i say it all the time the podcast, it's longer, there's no breaks, it's a little bit more aggressive, therobshowpodcast.com. We have been talking about these things for three years, and as they start to come up in what I would call um, conversation with people who were unaware, a little bit more for the masses, as these conversations, conversations start to come up, you can always go back and listen to these podcasts because we didn't just find out yesterday. We've been talking about it for a long time. I would love for people to understand how easy this is to diagnose the entire way our government is run, uh, the way the media hides it, and the dangers that we all face because there is a war being waged against free people of the world. That's what's happening. And this drug conversation is just an extension of it. Uh, If you want to reach out to the show, the Rob Show host at gmail.com. And it's always with two B's. Rob is with two B's. The Rob Show host at gmail.com. Stick around. Final segment, segment six. We get into politics. We're going to talk about the politics of addiction and fentanyl and opioids in the final segment. Stick around. We'll be right back. The Rob Carter Show. What's the matter with the clothes I'm wearing? All right, everybody, welcome back. 
final segment of the day. Hope everybody is having a wonderful Sunday evening. I hope the conversation is enlightening, especially to you parents and hopefully some of you kids that are learning about fentanyl and the dangers of drug addiction. Stay away from drugs. Hard drugs will put an end to your life. They will change your life forever. And I think the more kids that understand and are aware of the Russian roulette they play when they get into drugs, uh, it's something that all parents and kids have conversations about, but fentanyl is a different animal. In this final segment, we got into the politics of drug addiction, the politics of drug distribution. And the first question I asked him when it got into politics was, do you see either party throughout your time, all the way back to 1989 through today, do you see one political party, whether it be Democrats or Republicans, more interested in stopping drug addiction, more uh, interested in stopping the drug flow? And here's what he had to say. Clip number 66. Ready? Go. Graduated out of the academy in 1989. And as soon as I got out of the academy, I joined a special operations program that DEA had. It was called Operation Snowcap. And this was really the only legitimate war on drugs. You know, we hear this term all the time, the war on drugs. Uh, no, there has not been a war on drugs except for Operation Snowcap. And Snowcap was a foreign interdiction program. Um, you had to go to the U.S. Ranger School before you could deploy down to South America. And just to give you an idea, uh, we had 140 agents based in Honduras, Guatemala, Bolivia, Peru, and Colombia. We worked with the Army Special Forces 7th Group. We worked with Navy SEALs, and we worked with the Special Forces of those countries. Now, I myself, I was deployed in Bolivia, and our mission was to go out and hit the drug labs, hit the precursor chemical stash points, and hit the air traffic. And over, it started in like 1985 and went to like 1994. I think. Um, and we shut down drug trafficking in those countries. We made it almost impossible for the cartels to grow, produce and transship cocaine at that time. But here's the problem. The problem was the program was so successful. Bolivian government kicked us out. Right. And then there were other host of issues with other countries. And the program was was disassembled. And we all went back to the United States. That was a pivotal moment. That told the cartels that the United States did not have the will to continue the fight against narcotics. And then we saw an explosion of cartel activity and growth from the Medellin cartel to the current cartels we now have in Mexico. I would say I'm not sure who was the president. I think maybe Bush Sr. at that point and maybe Clinton had a very, very aggressive counter drug foreign policy. Right. And we saw an increase under Trump to some extent. But under the new administration, we're now pulling back, right? The police are being defunded. Um, the president of Mexico is dictating to us what he will do and what he will not do. We've lost all connectivity with Bolivia. Colombia is out of control. And drug production in Peru, again, is out of control. So, you know, at one point in time, we actually had a boots-on-the-ground paramilitary operation targeting the cartels and taking them apart. Now it's been allowed to metastasize to what I call stage four cancer analysis, right? Trying to remove cartels now would be very difficult because of the how well they're embedded and ingrained, particularly in Mexican culture, the government, and society. Then I ask him about the human trafficking angle with these drug cartels because I had listened to one of his podcasts. Again, if you want to hear this guy... It's fascinating if you're into this kind of thing because he knows everything about it. This guy is a wealth of information. Uh, his podcast is called The Opioid Matrix on Spotify. I was listening to a couple of his shows and listening to his guests. 
explained that these drug cartels are more than into distribution of drugs. They're into everything, including child trafficking, organ trafficking, sex trafficking, you name it. Uh, Anything that you can think of in your mind that is evil and should be illegal, they have a, a branch for it. It runs just like a mafia, only in a corporate form. And here's what he had to say when I asked him about human trafficking and the business of these drug cartels, what they are into in totality. And here's what he had to say. Clip number six, eight, Frankie, go. So DEA has been for years, have been trying to get other agencies to think outside of the box, to get outside of their, their silos. You know, if you think of Johnson and Johnson, and I'm not, I'm not relating Johnson and Johnson to a drug company, a drug agency or a cartel, but if you think of Johnson and Johnson, they have so many different products they produce, right? Hundreds of products for, for different reasons, but it's all one central corporation. If you think of the Cali cartel, not the Cali cartel, but if you think of the Sinaloa cartel, right? They are involved in everything, right? Human trafficking, sex trafficking, organ trafficking, right? Over 500 Americans have disappeared in the last 10 years. You got to wonder, they're either involved, they got they disappeared into the sex trafficking or they disappeared into organ trafficking, which is more profitable than drug trafficking. But they're also involved in the tequila business. They're involved in the auto industry, if you think of the American mob throughout the 60s, they had their fingers in everything. Mm-hmm. Garbage collection, construction, uh, on the docks, the unions, the mob controlled every aspect of cities like New York, Boston, and Chicago, and Detroit. The cartels have instituted that same structure, but now they are 100% more powerful than the U.S. mob ever was. Ah, it's something else. And then I went on to say, what do you think is going on with the Mexican government and the United States? Because I had seen uh, Dan Crenshaw do an interview, and he basically had the same ideas as Michael Brown, our guest, uh, about what was going on in Mexico. He wanted to take the U.S., uh, combine the U.S. military with the Mexican military to root out the uh, drug cartels. Now, if I'm Mexico, I'm, I'm probably not, I'm not comfortable with the American government sending troops onto their land and fighting the drug cartels, I think that could cause a whole different can of worms. But I asked him, I said, do you think the Mexican government and the drug cartels are aligned and working together? And here's what he said. Well, let's look at the history. Let's look at the Medellin cartel and Pablo Escobar. We know for sure the Colombian government was working in partnership with Pablo Escobar for years. Mm-hmm. Until Pablo Escobar decided he wanted to be the Colombian government. And that's when they said, hey, you're just a drug trafficker. We're the government. You can't cross that line. And Pablo Escobar went to war with the state, with the country of Colombia, at which time DEA played a main role in bringing down the the Medellin cartel. But then Medellin goes away. The Cali cartel comes up and tells the Colombian government, hey, we're not like Pablo. Here's a lot of money work with us. And the president of Colombia was taking millions of dollars in Cali cartel money to win his election. So there's a long history, a long established history of compromised governments in Central and South America working with the cartels. And when you look at the growth of the cartels in Mexico, how is it possible that all of these cartels have so much power in a country that has well-established military, has well-established economy, and a well-established infrastructure? And when I saw President Ubador on TV last week basically say there is no fentanyl production in Mexico, there's no cartel problem. And then he blamed parents of dead kids in America, said it was their fault because they didn't raise their kids right. That showed me, number one, that the president is scared 
that America will come across that border and deal with this problem directly. And two, that he has been completely compromised by the cartels. Mm -hmm. He's in a position where he either supports the cartels or maybe he catches a bullet. So he's basically saying that the Mexican government is either compromised or in bed with the drug cartels because I was setting him up for the next conversation. Two weeks ago, we talked about Jacqueline Brager going before the election committee in Maricopa County in Arizona and describing a system, describing a system where the Sinaloa drug cartel using mortgage deeds, phony mortgage deeds, creating money and then buying off the entire system, judges, part of the police force, public officials, and rigging elections with that money so that they could stay in power because they have a nice little business going. That's the way she described it, and that has been gone from the news. But when she laid out 3,000 pages and walked through everything that she believed, I can't say that it's true. I'm not even saying that it's true. I'm just saying, where is the conversation? Because apparently that's very possible. It could be going on. Our elections are definitely being manipulated. They were definitely definitely manipulated in Arizona, and in particular, Maricopa County. So I said, hey, do you think it's possible that that really happened, that what's going on in Mexico could be going on in Arizona and the Sinaloa drug cartel? Is it possible that they have compromised the system in Arizona? And here's what he had to say. Frankie, clip number seven, one, check this out. Ready, go. Yeah, we look at the history, right? When I was in Detroit, we had a number of investigations where we had police officers, right, that were moving cocaine in their police cars for the cartels. Um, they would drive their car, they drive their official vehicles outside of Detroit, pick up uh, loads of cocaine, uh, heroin, methamphetamine, bring them back into the cities. Worked a number of cases with the FBI on public corruption. Uh, we saw that one of the mayors of Detroit uh, was linked to drug trafficking back in the day. So there's a there's a I and mean, if you look at New York, New York had back in the 60s uh, and the 90s, you know, dozens of officers were arrested for corruption and working with um, the cartels. Uh, FBI agent uh, Whitey Bolzer, right, yeah. uh, out of Boston. He was working with an FBI agent who was corrupt. So there's a long history. But when you have so much money, right, involved in drug trafficking, and for example, a New York police officer, I think, starts out making $46,000 a year. How do you live on $46,000 a year in New York with a family? I don't know how you do it. But there's a vulnerability there. And even some DEA agents have been corrupted. You know, you're working around drug traffickers. You're seeing millions of dollars in your hands every day. The temptation is going to be there sometimes. So if you're a police officer and you're working in Arizona, you're making $18,000 a year. And some guy walks up and says, hey, you know what? I'm going to give you 100000 bucks a week just to look the other way. Maybe one out of 10 is going to, is going to take that gonna, money. For sure. You're going to find a right? few takers. You're going to find some yeah. takers. Let's just be realistic here. No question. Uh, somebody's going to take that money. And it's going to affect the overall system. So we have to we have to build in better ways to hire police officers. We have to build in better mechanisms to ensure that police officers, you know, don't go sideways. And I think that's possible. But then it gets back down to funding. Right. A lot of these departments don't even have money for for the for proper training, for proper equipment. Um, You know, with defunding the police, there's even less money out there now. So police departments are even more vulnerable. And the cartels know this. So they're going to be pushing more money into cities to, to offset what officers are not getting paid. So that creates a vulnerability for law enforcement. I think what he's trying to say is it is very possible because he has watched it happen all over the globe. We think we're immune from these things. We aren't. 
evidently we are not immune to these things happening to us. So I would take a very close look at what's going on in Arizona. Somebody needs to pay attention to that news story down there that the Sinaloa drug cartel has bought off the entire system and bought off elections down there. Because what he's trying to say is it is possible. It's very possible. And it seems to me like it's likely. So then I asked him, I said, with everything going on, what is the solution? How do we stop it? Here's how we answered the question. Well, you know, I mean, it's going to take it's going to take some aggressive action. Um, you know, my my theory is we go back to the center, the center of gravity, which is the precursor chemicals. Right. We have the capability. We have the we have the intelligence capability. We have the military capability to to dissect the precursor chemical supply chain, find its vulnerabilities and then intercept those chemicals before they can get to Mexico. That would be my first line of strategy, which doesn't require a boots on the ground, um, putting U.S. military personnel at risk or putting the Mexican citizens at risk. Right. But then again, that's a very expensive operation. Um, and then we have to figure out a way to bring in the military and bring in the intelligence community. So they see this as a priority. So right now, drug trafficking is not a priority for the U.S. military. It is not a priority for the intelligence community. It's not part of what we call the two plus three category of strategic threats. Iran, you know, terrorism such as Al Qaeda, ISIS, China, Russia, North Korea. Right. Until we add the cartels, the top five cartels to that list, they're not a priority. Right. They're way, way down on the list. No matter what the State Department tells you, nobody's really thinking about an aggressive strategy to take on the trafficking, the, the narcotic traffickers. So we have to redefine what a threat is to the United States. We have to up that threat level to include those cartels and then bring in those necessary assets to degrade that precursor chemical supply chain. Is 170,000 young people dying from opioids and fentanyl? Is that a crisis? I don't know. You have to figure that out on your own. To me, uh, we have to get it together and figure this out. Right after we ended our conversation, I sent him a text and I said, I forgot to ask you about marijuana. Is marijuana being laced with fentanyl? And he sent me this clip. Check this out. This is how he responded to my question. Is fentanyl in the marijuana? Police are asking the community to be cautious after finding laced marijuana in two drug overdose investigations. The marijuana recovered by police tested presumptive for amphetamines and fentanyl. Officers say the laced marijuana could have played a factor in the two drug overdoses they investigated. So the answer obviously is yes. That's just about all the time we have today. If you want to get a replay of the show, if you want to get your kids uh, around and listen to this conversation that we had with Michael Brown, you have to get the app on Rumble, go to SR1, and download the Rob Carter Show. Very simple to do. You can get a replay of the show because your kids need to know just how dangerous fentanyl is. Again, if you want the podcast, therobshowpodcast.com. Go into your search engine. There we are. Hope everybody has a wonderful rest of their weekend. Join us next weekend from 6 to 8 o'clock on the Rob Carter Show. Good night, everybody. This is SR1.